Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Listeners and welcome to a brand new episode of Injury Times Asian Cup Special. We're calling it the Asian Extravaganza. And before we begin the episode, let me wish you all a very happy new year. In today's episode, we'll be discussing Group B and Group C. And to do the honors, I'll be joined by Sandeep from Bangalore. Hey, Sandeep. Hey, Navin. How are you? Doing good, Sandeep. Happy new year to you. Happy new year to you too. And joining us all the way from Tokyo is an Aussie. The defending champions going into the Asian Cup, Scott McIntyre from the Asian Game Podcast. Hey, Scott. Hello, guys. Uh, I'm really uh, pleased to be joining you. Pleased to be uh, speaking to my uh, Indian friends again. We had a great time there when uh, we were there with uh, Guam a couple of years ago. And uh, firstly, I hope the name of your podcast is not some uh, kind of a sign that we're going to have a lot of injury time uh, in this Asian Cup. Uh, we certainly hope that uh, <laughs> things aren't dramatically decided in the 98th minute of, uh, of all these games. Well, that adds a little bit of flavor, doesn't it? <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what we really don't want is uh, injury time, then extra time, then injury time in extra time, and then some kind of uh, penalties that go to, you know, a 21-20 where the, the goalkeeper uh, scores on the uh, second time around uh, to decide the final. Well, that just touches a little bit. Terrible. You have to say. It's pretty difficult, yes, absolutely. So, guys, two groups to discuss. Group B with defending champions Australia in, in it. Scott, pretty much excited about that. And in Group C... A group that has a n- number of big-name coaches, if I can put it like that. First, we begin with Group C. Scott, coming to you right away. Socceroos are in UAE to defend their title. Can they do it? I think they can. And um, and uh, as I said to you before we started recording, if somebody put a gun to my head, one, I would feel very uncomfortable that they put a gun to my head. But uh, secondly, if they forced me to choose uh, who was going to win right now, I think it's going to be Australia. And... Um, uh, not um, not for any uh, patriotic reasons, because uh, I am uh, Australia. I've actually lived outside of Australia for quite a while now. But um, I think um, it suits the team to come in with um, not no expectations, but limited expectations. Because I think, um, uh, as we can say, uh, okay, most people are thinking Iran is the favourite, from what I understand, or, or Korea is maybe one of the contenders. Japan is one of the contenders. Some people suggesting maybe the UAE is one of the contenders, but. The, the more and more people I listen to, I really um, don't hear so many people talking about Australia. And I think this uh, this suits them in a way, uh, you know, that they can come in with lessened uh, expectations externally. Um, I think uh, an advantage that Australia really has that a lot of people don't talk about uh, in the in this kind of a tournament where you have a 30-day tournament where you need to play the three group stage matches and then the four knockout stage matches uh, to win it. So that's seven matches. It's almost a match every three days, right? Or, or, or four days. So... What becomes just as important as the, as the squad and the quality of the squad you have is the quality of the backroom staff uh, that are working around that. So the, the simple things like a logistic uh, situation of making sure that, uh, you know, buses are on time to take you to training, making sure that the police escort is organized, the the recovery, the sports science uh, kind of things, meals, uh, pretty much everywhere Australia goes, they take uh, their own chef uh, with them. So they don't need to, you know, eat uh, kind of uh, food in the hotel that could have come from any source and, and could cause trouble. So all these little things, um, every little uh, tiny detail is uh, is covered from 
uh, from this backroom staff. It's uh, it's incredibly professional. I think we can go as far to say one of, if not the uh, most professional. Uh, backroom staffs anywhere uh, in the world. If you look right across the Premier League, you know, there's a lot of, uh, for example, there's a lot of uh, Australian strength and conditioning uh, coaches, a lot of um, uh, other other people, you know, in management positions at, at clubs. I think they're highly regarded from this. So I'm not saying that, um, you know, we have a technically the, the most uh, uh, gifted uh, group of players anywhere in the planet, but certainly in, in terms of that support staff, uh, I think I'm absolutely convinced in saying that there's no, uh, there's no other nation in the tournament that has uh, this kind of advantage that Australia has. And I think it can't be underestimated in these kind of tournaments, just how important that is. I don't think Australia were the best team uh, in 2015 either, but again, I think in that situation, especially look, you know, matches going into into periods of extra time and, and so on. I think um, you know they certainly looked uh, the the fittest and the most prepared at the end of the tournament, and, and that can make a, a big difference in a in a competition where I think there's no real standout nations. We can you know pick holes in in Iran, we can pick holes in Korea, we can pick holes in um, you know the hosts, uh, Japan. We can pick holes in a lot of nations. Australia, yeah, obviously as well, but. I think it's a very balanced tournament. If we say five or six nations, in my opinion, can win it, I certainly think Australia is in that group, and uh, and I think they will. Um, there's obviously issues and and questions where the goals are going to come from. Although we've just seen them beat uh, Oman five uh, nil in the in the final warm up match by uh, all accounts, so very very impressive uh, in that game. A, a young striker here is a fantastic story. By here I mean uh, who plays uh, in Japan, where I am a guy called uh, Andrew Naboot, who three years ago was playing in the the second tier of Malaysian uh, club football, and now you know he's probably going to be the the guy that will lead the line for the Socceroos, and he's a, a very dangerous finisher that perhaps. Uh, not many of the, the the teams or or even the journalists you know across the region know too much about. He, he suffered a, an injury at the World Cup that's kept him out of most of the second half of the J League season. He just came back late on, so he's a uh, he's one option. There's another uh, fascinating option. This guy that um, someone discovered from Scotland, the guy called Martin Boyle, a 24 year old Scottish guy who apparently has um, one Australian grandparent somewhere. <laughs> Or rather, and he'd, he'd actually never been to Australia before. He came for the uh, for the friendlies late in in 2018, and uh, you know he really impressed on debut there. So he could be a, a real X factor that nobody, you know, not even his teammates, <laughs> really know too much about. So I think there's a lot of questions about the the goals. But I'm also confident, you know, in in those options. I think if we look defensively, it's a very solid unit with players. Uh, even if you look through to the you know the two number sixes or the number six and number eight, the guys that are playing regularly. At a, at a decent level uh, in Europe, uh, I, I think the, not only the, the first choice goalkeeper, but I think also the second and third choice goalkeepers, in my opinion, are the best three uh, goalkeepers uh, of any nation uh, in in the competition. And you know, even without uh, uh, Aaron Moyer, who's a loss, you know, if, if Tom Rogic is fit, which he appears to be, you know, he's uh, one of the most important players now at Celtic, you know, which is a, a regular Champions League uh, club, and you know, he's probably going to move to a big Premier League club. Uh, in the near future as well, and you know, he's a very gifted uh, playmaker. So I think um, you know we we're not flush with a world class talent, but I think we have very good at talent. A lot of players that are are in decent form at, at decent uh, levels uh, at, at European club sides, and a few under the radar players as well. So I just think the mix is is kind of all there. To um, you know, I don't think it's going to be. Uh, you know, blowing teams away. You're not going to do five nil. You know, in every kind of game. And when you get to the the real business part of the the tournament, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of games are won. You know, maybe as we said, in injury time or stoppage time, or in, or in the you know penalty shootouts or some kind of situation. But I think, yeah, on the balance of it, I think they're going to be a very uh, difficult side to beat. Well, giving you a moment to take a breath there, Scott. <laughs> All right, uh, Scott. Another thing I wanted to know is in 2011, back in Australia, when the competition was there. 
the Socceroos were in with a point to prove, wanted to show that they belonged to this group of competitors in Asia. In 2019, now in UAE, what will be the mood like? Well, they want to defend the title. I mean, it's plain and simple. I mean, uh, it, it hasn't been done for uh, for a very, very long time that a nation has gone back to back um, in the Asian Cup. We've seen the title change hands uh, quite frequently in, in recent editions, and it would be a, a massive achievement. I mean, uh, you know, it's one thing winning it on home soil in front of your home crowd, um, but to go away to uh you know in australia's case literally the other uh, side of the world and 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 to come up uh trumps i think uh, is is the only goal i mean you you every nation's going there to win it but as the defending champion you you're naturally going uh, to try and really make a point you know to to go back to back uh, we've seen club sides from australia have reasonable um, success in the champions league of course western sydney won it uh, uh, three or four years ago and and you know since then it's been a little bit um, mixed at club level but certainly at national level i think uh you know, Australia is one of the the big powers in the region, and and they want to go there and uh, and show that you know they uh, they belong in that upper echelon, and and the way you do that is by becoming the back-to-back champion. Well, Scott, uh, the group has Australia, yes, then the, your Jordan, Palestine, and Syria for that matter, and that big game, Australia versus Syria, repeat of that World Cup qualifiers on the fifteenth of January. How are you looking forward to that game? Yeah, very much so. Uh, indeed, I mean, for for me, I'm looking forward to all the games because uh, I think there's fascinating uh, stories uh, in the group. Obviously, um, the the population of Jordan is uh, extensively, uh, uh, you know, far more than 50% uh, of Palestinian uh, heritage, and they're obviously neighbouring nations. I've spent a fair bit of time in in both nations, and you know, wonderful, uh, really warm, uh, welcoming uh, people. Certainly in Palestine, you know. Uh, a very um, I don't know thriving football scene is the is the right description, but you know people that are really passionate uh, about the game. You know it's uh, it's it's all that matters for kids, and you have to consider the situation that you know this is a country that um, whatever term you want to use, but I'm prefer to say under occupation by Israel, and and you know have a as a giant wall um, set up, and and people can't travel outside. I mean, you know, if, if you guys want to leave uh, India, you know, you can take your passport and you can uh, save some money and you can fly anywhere you want. You know, there's no um, there's no wall, uh, you know, surrounding uh, Bengaluru that's uh, not letting you get out. So you can't even imagine what kind of um, psychological damage that does uh, to a people, you know, literally being, um, it's like you're being imprisoned, you know, in, in your own country. So for them, football, um, you know, really means everything, and and they've produced um, a lot of good domestic players, and also they, of course, have a a lot of uh, players with Palestinian um, heritage who, who've come into this team and really livened it up. And then, you know, when as we said, when they play Jordan, that's a that's a massive match, right? But it's really it's a it's a huge a derby uh, in a way. A couple of years ago, I went to the the big uh, derby between Al Wadat and uh, Al Faisali in in Jordan, and Wadat is the is the team of uh, of the Palestinians in Jordan, and uh, Faisali is the team connected to the the Jordanian uh, royal family. And really, it was an amazing uh, atmosphere. You know, I spent a day in uh, where the the area around Wadat is a is basically a refugee camp uh, in a way for a, lo- a lot of people who've come uh, unsettled from Palestine over the years. And you know, just walk uh, around those streets. Obviously, not um, you know not a wealthy uh, kind of area by any means, but you know, you see kids in, in kind of dusty streets with you know uh, shirts from madrid and barcelona and manchester and all this and you know every corner uh, every street people are playing with the ball so such a passion for the game both these countries and everybody knows what um is going on politically politically in in syria as well so um you know there's a lot of um backstories going on to all these groups and, and syria uh, you know, as you said the feel-good story of the last world cup uh, qualification campaign how close they came i mean there's a lot of uh, again debates over the legitimacy of this team you know whether it's a team of the um 
of the uh, the ruling uh, power in Syria, whether it truly represents uh, all Syrians, is a is a debate that uh, we probably don't need to get into here. But it's certainly one that's uh, mentioning that it's not necessarily a team that's uniting the whole nation, but the nation is not uh, united either. So, uh, but as we saw with the the case with Iraq um, in, uh, in in winning that title in two thousand and seven, that you know these kind of things can can unify a people and and can in many ways you know help um, provide some kind of comfort to the troubles that are going on uh, in those nations so it's a it's a fascinating group from you know i mean uh, not just a footballing perspective but a but a non-footballing perspective and obviously we know the the strengths of syria some very uh, impressive uh, you know firepower a lot of players now playing at a decent level um, almost the entire uh, squad is playing outside of syria but some of those guys are playing at a at a very decent level uh, outside you know there's some promising young talents coming out of jordan and and the fascinating situation with Palestine, calling in, you know, a lot of guys of, of heritage from all uh, around, you know, South America and Europe as well. So there's, there's a lot of um, a really interesting subplots uh, right, across, right across the group. And, I mean, if we look who's uh, who's the favourites to get through, I mean, OK, let's say uh, we should think it's Australia and Syria. But can uh, Palestine, for example, cause a surprise? I mean, I think they can. And, and particularly now with a new format. Uh, of the competition where if you finish third you've still got a chance of getting through i wouldn't be surprised if actually you know palestine did cause uh, a little surprise and maybe snuck through and, and got one of those spots in the round of 16 which would be a fascinating story for a country like that well that about palestine but now coming to you sandy what about syria you have someone like an Omar omar kirbin who's been scoring goals for fun in the past few seasons how far can they go and how much will the team depend on this man obviously he's the reigning afc player of the year so uh, dependency on him is a given but I think, uh, what, like what just Scott mentioned, it's amazing the story of Syria. And I hope for one, and no offense meant here, was uh, rooting for Syria to qualify for the World Cup just because they would get, you know, such a fantastic story to come from where they are. Uh, but I think since being in that position, obviously there is a lot more expectations on them. And we do expect them to be mm -hmm. certainly be one of the dark horses. So uh, that is probably the most interesting thing. And the, now the question is, can they handle the fact that they are thought of as one of the dark horses who can potentially spring a surprise and stuff like that. And uh, in that ecosystem, how difficult it was for them to play. And uh, they didn't play many games at home. So they largely played in a neutral venue. So this could may well be uh, you know positive for them because they maybe don't feel any difference between playing home and away. And uh, I just wanted to touch on something that Scott just mentioned with countries like Palestine, who has a player of Chilean heritage. I mean, obviously Palestinian heritage, but from Chile. And then at the same time, you also have uh, Philippines. And we're seeing more and more of this from Qatar and uh, you know, a few other teams about how uh, players are coming into Asia to play their trade. And a lot of the teams who are trying to move up the ranks is trying to do that. So uh, I just wanted to know what your take was on that. Uh, I mean, uh, I. I think uh, if you're eligible to play for a for a nation, you're eligible to play for a nation. I mean, it's um, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's it's it's. It's the rule. I mean, what what can we possibly say about it? I mean, particularly if you have um, if you have blood, um, you know, traced uh, through, uh, through relatives to that nation, then you're eligible for a for a passport of that country. You're eligible for citizenship of that country. Then you're eligible to play football for that country. And I mean, you know, maybe um, a hundred years ago, before the the uh, the jet uh, engine was invented, it's a it's not such a discussion because there wasn't so much movement of people. But uh, you know, in the in the last um, 
certainly half a century or so. You know, there's been so much uh, human movement. It's going to be the fascinating thing about this tournament as well. I mean, going to a nation, uh, for example, uh, like the UAE, as you guys uh, well know, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, particularly people working there from uh, from India, from uh, from Nepal, from Bangladesh, especially from the, the Philippines as well. So, you know, I, I think for for nations such as the Philippines and for India, you're going to see quite healthy uh, crowds and and support. And this is, you know, also one of the, I mean, why one of the situations of the world in in 2019. You know, that um, the the movement of people. I mean, you know, you guys are speaking to me as an Australian, um, you know, living here in Japan. So it's uh, it's also a, a thing that I'm experiencing. You know, and and uh, you know, my children are then, but between the you know two nations as well. So it's it's something that's uh, close to home for me uh, personally as well. And it's um, but I mean, it's it's a reality of. Uh, of the world that we live in, you know, that there's a lot of um, intermarriages happening and um, there's a lot of movement um, between nations. And I think to say that someone, you know, even only, you know, maybe one or two generations uh, removed uh, doesn't have a right to represent that nation, I think is uh, totally false. And, and of course they do. That's um, that's their choice. And, and I saw it, you know, even with Guam as well, you know, during my time there, you know, with guys coming back from the mainland of the U.S. who, who hadn't. They've been to Guam. Come of the a couple of them never, but you know they came and they they really discovered the you know the indigenous culture for the first time. Uh, they learned you know the the words to the anthem. They they understood the the deeper uh, the roots that ran through their family. A lot of the the boys then got you know tattoos with a, all these kind of connections to us. So if if you have um, if you have links and ties to, to a country, then you have links and ties to the country. And and I think to um, from a footballing sense, it makes a you know, perfect sense to to tap into that um, diaspora. You know, I, we'll get onto the Philippines a little bit later. Maybe I can talk a little bit more about it at that time. But um, you know, I mean, every I think if you looked across these um, twenty four uh, nations, uh, the Asian Cup, uh, perhaps outside of North Korea, uh, I think uh, you know you can trace that there's been uh, players from the diaspora that have actually come in and um, and and played. Right, even even India down the years have had players that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you know, we had uh, ties to other nations as well that uh, that they've brought on board as well. So you know, you'd be struggling to find too many nations that hasn't that hasn't tapped into this, and and you'd be foolish not to tap into it if you're a developing, in inverted commas, developing a nation that um, that wants to do this. As I said, you know, Australia potentially the guy that's going to be. Uh, you know, leading the line for uh, for Australia was a guy that uh, you know was born and raised in Scotland um, and had never stepped a foot in Australia until uh, until uh, you know uh, September uh, twenty eighteen. But you know, still feels a connection uh, to the country from all accounts and, and from you know what he speaks publicly. So he's eligible um, to represent Australia, and he seems to be doing it um, with pride and and for the right reasons. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we look across the nations, there's not too many that um, that aren't in this situation. So it's um, it's a reality of uh, not only football but life in in two thousand. What are we in? We're in 2019, right? In 2019. Well, Scott, listening to you talk now and Sean the other day, one thing is for sure, football is a global sport and there's nothing stopping it from spreading across the globe. Well, coming to you, Sandeep, now with Jordan, quite an interesting story there in itself. There are quite a number of players, a Belgium tactician at the help. How do you see this team fair at the Asian Cup? Well, we know for a fact that their goalkeeper can score a goal. So, <laughs> that is a huge plus <laughs> point for them. Uh, and... Ahead of that, uh, obviously they have a very good player in Musa who's play for who plays for Apple in uh, Greece. They generally, from the games that I saw against India, they were even against India they had a lot of the ball, so you knew they were able to play like that. But they are generally good at counter attacks and in transitions. And uh, they have a new coach. I think he joined only towards the September or sometime like that. So the only question is, can they? find enough time to gel with him and get his thoughts and you know whatever he wants on the field that's the only thing but 
uh, I think uh, Jordan is again a very strong side, but maybe not as popular as most people would expect them to be. If, if you know what I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it came across. Well, listener, that's all we have on this first part of the Asian Cup episode. Don't go anywhere because after the short break, we'll be discussing a lot from Group C that has the likes of China, Korea, Philippines, and Kyrgyzstan. So, be right there because we'll be right back. and welcome back to Injury Times special on the Asian Cup. We are calling it the Asian Extravaganza. Before the break, we were discussing Group B. Now it's time for Group C. Guys, this group, the teams are there, but the headline makers are the coaches. You have the likes of Sven Gorang, Eriksson, Marcelo Lippi, Paolo Bento to name a few and a few debutant teams as well. Scott, how do you see this whole group fair this time around at the Asian Cup? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, as you touched on, uh, some fascinating uh, names, some really um, storied uh, names in the history of world football. I mean, you know, they've led some of the biggest um, club teams, the biggest uh, youth teams, uh, the biggest national teams on the biggest stages. So it's um, it's a fascinating uh, situation, uh, you know, to see at the Asian Cup. You know, we've got a couple of ambitious uh, younger local coaches from various nations and then up against, you know, some of these uh, massive names in world football. So it's going to be yeah, fascinating to see how that plays out and certainly uh, a collection of them in the one group um, is a little bit uh, unusual. As well, I mean, I think uh, it's it's no surprise that we say the standout nation uh, in this group is clearly uh, South Korea, the Korea, Korea Republic, if you like to use the the formal name. And and then outside of that, um, there's certainly question marks uh, over China. There's question marks over uh, both of the debutants uh, that you also mentioned in uh, in Philippines and uh, and Kyrgyzstan as well. So uh, I mean, if we start with Korea, obviously they're not only to to win this group, but I think you know for a lot of people are also the favourites to win the whole tournament. They have um, the undisputed um, uh, poster boy for Asian football in uh, in Son Heung Min, who uh, I think the argument now has gone from beyond being is he the best uh, Asian player currently to uh, is he the best Asian player of all time, uh, even at this uh, young age. And I think you can uh, mount a very strong case that he is, you know, uh, in a, in a very strong league. Uh, with global uh, attention on him to be uh, consistently performing uh, for Tottenham in the, in the in the Premier League in England is a fascinating uh, situation to watch. It's a it's a wonderful achievement, and you know to think that he came uh, directly from you know not playing even at club level in Korea, you know to to firstly Germany and now to uh, to great success in England. Uh, is is a such a you know amazing thing for for young Korean uh, you know kids that dream of playing football, but for also other uh, Asian kids that dream of playing uh, football as well. So he's the the headline act. Of course, he won't be there uh, for the first the two group stage matches. But you can't imagine that Korea, particularly with the third place nation. I mean, there's almost no situation that you can imagine that they're going to tumble out of this, right? So he's going to come in and then um, be the real uh, catalyst for them going forward. But I think. As impressive as he's been, um, you know, at uh, at club level for such a long time, he hasn't always uh, replicated uh, that uh, kind of uh, form and impact with the national team. And, and you see this often, uh, particularly uh, in in Asian nations that have a dominant uh, star, you know, that that comes back from from playing abroad. And often there's too much, uh, let me say, like a, almost deference, uh, you know, paid to this player. And and the the impulse is to simply get them the ball. And, uh, and, and, you know, you can, t- you know, Son, you can take the ball and, uh, you know, dribble past 10 players and score a goal. And, and that's not the, obviously the, the most healthy way to, to build a team. You know, the, the Asian Games was a, was a special situation because so much was riding on that with the, 
the military service. But you know, in the, even there, you know, when the when the heat was on, a, I think in the semi final of that tournament, they they got a penalty, and he basically refused to step up and take it, which uh, which caused a lot of eyebrows to be raised um, in Korea and, and elsewhere across the continent as well. And you know, you could almost see him you know, having the burden to carry the nation. The, the pressure uh, is not as much, uh, oddly enough, at the Asian Cup as it is uh, for the Asian Games because the Asian Cup uh, doesn't uh, offer an exemption to military service uh, in Korea. And it's actually a, a fascinating subplot. I don't know if you uh, know this or not, but the uh, the captain of the, the J-League team here in the city where I am in Tokyo, uh, FC Tokyo, is a Korean guy, uh, Jung Hun-soo, who was a very important regular starting defender for Korea. And he earned his uh, military exemption uh, in the Olympics, I believe, in 2012, when they they won a medal uh, in London, but but even with this exemption, this applies for Son and all these other guys. You still need to do uh, six weeks of basic military training. So you need to, you know, to come to Korea and you know, put a uniform on, fill in some papers, or, or do some kind of you know uh, charity or community service for, for six weeks, and and then you're out of your your two three years of you know full time requirements. So this uh, particular defender, Jung, who would be the starting defender in this uh, squad for sure. He uh, submitted his documents to the whatever uh, you know authority that he needs to do, and someone went through and was reviewing these. So, as part of his six-week requirement, he um, he submitted that uh, last December he returned to Korea and he put on you know a series of youth um, coaching clinics in the off-season uh, from uh, uh, from the J League, and he you know had these photos of you know grounds with children on them, uh, you know beautiful green grass, and this was a soul in the middle of December, you know when it's a minus. Uh, you know, 15 degrees every day in the entire city is blanketed in, you know, a couple of meters of snow. So I think someone looked at these uh, green, uh, you know, these green grass fields in, in Seoul in the middle of December and thought something's not right here. And they, yeah, yeah, so they discovered that he'd been, you know, basically doctoring uh, all these uh, documents and, and they banned him uh, for life forever playing uh, for, for the national team, uh, which means he can never come back and play uh, domestically in the K-League. Uh, as well, so yeah, it's the other side to to the whole um, military uh, exemption. I've gone down a uh, long and winding path here to uh, to say that Son Heung-min is, of course, the um, the the key player, but uh, he's not, you know, certainly not the only one. And I think if Korea are to have success, they're going to need to somehow break away from this uh, impulse to try and simply get the ball to, to Son. Especially, you know, it's almost like the Messiah, right? I mean, two games, you know, you've come through, maybe you've you've got wins and you've set up, but you know, here comes. Uh, you know, he comes Lionel Messi, you know, and he's going to go and win the games for us. I think if they if they approach it, and it's hard not to uh, in that kind of situation, it it, it has the potential to to almost uh, interrupt the team, you know, because the the rest of the squad would have been in camp uh, by that time for at least uh, you know two, um, perhaps three weeks with all, all the build up. You know, the combinations are already set. Someone's going to be dropped <laughs> for for him to to come back into the team and. Yeah, I think that can go both ways. It, it's not always, um, you know, the case that he's going to come back and then, you know, uh, you know, win it single-handedly. So, oh yeah, I, I would just caution that, you know, the the arrival of Son is uh, perhaps not the, the the total panacea, you know, you know, or the messianic um, moment that people think it might be, and it can actually go the other way as well. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see how that all plays out. Uh, Scott, now coming to China, who's obviously the other contender in that group. Um, overall, they've had a good good time in the last two years or so, but uh, not great results. And they drew with India as well, which is why we have also looked into a little bit. So, uh, could you talk about the chances of China in the first place? And secondly, how the manager there is perceived? Because Marcelo Lippi, they are not very happy with him. He is going to leave at the end of the Asian Cup and probably Gus Hiddink is going to come in from uh, who's coaching the age group teams there. So, could you talk about the perception within China about the team and also the chances? 
Well, I don't know if I necessarily agree that they've been in good form. I don't think they've won a game for uh, more than six months. Actually, they've really kind of struggled with uh, with uh, friendly uh, matches to get results. Uh, as you said, Lippi is, I think, viewed in many ways as maybe taking this job as a some kind of a retirement uh, package rather than being, I'm saying not totally committed, but, um, you know, I mean, is he the right man at the job? And indeed, can we ask, is uh, Hiddink at his age uh, also the right man for the job? Uh, my personal opinion is that it's not on on both of those cases. And certainly it's not helped by by the bizarre um, situation that you've got with the Chinese government and the Chinese Football Association. We don't know who uh, is behind um, all of these moves necessarily, but the regulations, we we have to remember this is, a, I believe, an entirely domestic-based squad, if I'm not wrong, one of the few nations that are maybe uh, in that boat. Is that correct? I think there's not a player outside China, no, in this... In this group, I think I, I believe I'm right in saying that. Anyway, yeah. um, and so there's probably not, you know, too many nations in that boat. So, what uh, what you need for success is a healthy league, and, and what you have in China is, uh, as you guys know well, is uh, you know two or three powerhouse clubs. I mean, this was the first time in uh, almost a decade that uh, Guangzhou didn't win the league. You know, a dominant uh, powerhouse, uh, not just domestically but uh, on the continent as uh, as well but uh, a lot of the the success the, that they've had and the other nations have had and, and indeed shanghai had in in winning the league uh, this year as well was down uh, more so uh, to the to the foreign players than than the local players and then you've got this uh, rather um, very uh, curious uh, situation of uh, you know regulations being put in for under 21 players and then uh, not being put in and then uh, foreign players uh, you know having all these uh, kind of tax uh, restrictions put on them uh, you couldn't sign them at this point and then if you wanted to play a foreign player you needed to play the equal number of uh, youth players and then uh, later in the year they decided to uh, uh, introduce an under 25 age group which is a uh, age category that I've never uh, heard of uh, before and they removed uh, forcibly the players from their their clubs and they sent them off to a, a military style training camp uh, you know high in the Chinese mountains they forced them to shave their hair and <laughs> it was just ridiculous <laughs> like it's uh, it's impossible to follow and you know keep up with all these um uh, really stupid uh, kind of regulations and changes it's done nothing but um had the opposite effect of i think what they wanted it to do and that was you know to foster uh, youth development and really it's just um made the whole thing um kind of schizophrenic and and you've seen the national the national team in in many ways follow that uh, same trend i mean they have one or two um very good young players uh where she how uh from the the recent uh, under 20 tournament i'm a i'm a very big a fan of, of course, Wu Le, who uh, has just been uh, imperious uh, for the last couple of years and um, domestically kind of breaking all sorts of uh, records, is a, is a fantastic player and I think we can rightly say one of the biggest names uh, in uh, Asian football. But really outside of that, the squad is um, is ageing uh, in many ways, is slow uh, defensively and uh, outside of, uh, of Wu Le, really lacking uh, in incisive uh, playmakers or, or finishers, and and you again you see that often in the case where the domestic league is dominated by uh, you know foreign um, number tens or foreign number nines that uh, the local players are not given the, the opportunities that they need. And I think it's going to be a real concern for China. So, I mean, again, you know, with the with the finishing third being a chance to still get through, I think you know maybe we need to consider China a chance. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Kyrgyzstan actually finished second uh, in this group and uh, and you know China were then fighting for their lives to, to scrape through in third and you know that will no doubt promote a, another round of um, you know hand wringing and head scratching in China and uh, and you know goodness knows what kind of um, crazy <laughs> regulations are going to come up with uh, in response to that. Well pretty bizarre things happening in China to put it simply out there. Well moving on from China to the debutants in this group Philippines. Sandeep coming to you with Ericsson as a coach and a semi-final finish at the Suzuki Cup. How do you see their chances? And obviously, it's a good thing that you finished a good performance in the Suzuki Cup. 
but uh, again if this group is too strong i think for them to actually make it in into the next round maybe if scott is saying china is going to scrape through as number 3 then definitely no chance for uh, philippines to get through there but it's uh, obviously it's a good thing that's the first time that they're coming in uh, they have a coach in swen goran erickson who has seen a lot of these tournaments not necessarily done very well with england but you know he's seen a lot of these tournaments but and he's coming on the back of i think two changes in the management um when before he took over in the last uh, couple of years maybe and so obviously that's going to have an effect uh, it's also interesting that they do have a lot of uh, good players phil young has been is one of them he has a brother as well uh, for, i don't know the reasons why but they have left the cardiff city goalkeeper altridge uh, without in out of the squad but um, predominantly i think teams like philippines uh, and like india and all these who are making their debut and trying to come into this level maybe some of them have been helped by the tweaking of the rules so uh, it's important for them to come here understand what is going on at this tournament what it requires to play at this level to advance at this level it's a learning curve for them so i think uh, they'll probably be looking at it in that sense to learn from this uh, tournament so that they can go into the next 5 10 years and uh, keep on building on that but well, i think this is exactly what i heard on the asian asian game podcast isn't it scott when you all spoke to erickson this is more of a learning experience for philippines coming into the asian cup yeah i think uh, also it's a really we we touched earlier on you know tapping into the diaspora no nation has done that to a greater degree than the philippines have done and and uh, I, I, I honestly think that the appointment of um, Ericsson, it's only a two-month appointment or three months really, so covering these um, competitions, the Suzuki Cup, which I was at, uh, uh, and, then, um, and then the Asian Cup, and then he'll be gone, and, and his assistant, Scott Cooper, who was coaching in Thailand um, recently and, and also took the team uh, you know, just prior to Ericsson point. He's a very, very a good coach, uh, a tactically very strong, and I think he's, gonna, he's potentially going to lead the nation into a real uh, new dawn after the Asian Cup because... Uh, it's, it's my understanding that they've had uh, as many as uh, 180 to 200 uh, new names that have been put forward. You know, guys, and we're talking about the guys that are playing in the the first uh, and second uh, divisions in the Bundesliga in Germany, at uh, very high levels in other um, leagues right across Europe, who've now all expressed their interest in in playing for the national team and were, are eligible uh, to do so, but they weren't eligible in time here because uh, you know they uh, most of them didn't have passports, and you need to actually travel back to Manila to to arrange all of that. So I think. You know, after this uh, Asian Cup, uh, I think uh, you know potentially the Philippines are really going to be a nation to watch uh, if they get this influx of, of you know uh, diaspora talent coming into the team. But yeah, it's perhaps a tournament um, too soon here. I think we saw uh, this squad is um, is limited in in many ways at the Suzuki Cup. They did very well to even reach into the semifinals, but they were comprehensively outplayed by Vietnam, um, which I, uh, I'm sure um, yeah regular listeners to the Asian Game podcast know uh, how much. Um, a real love I have for this uh, young generation of Vietnamese talent. I know we're not doing Vietnam in this group, but uh, I couldn't um, stop at getting uh, a mention of um, of the nation in because they're a, they're going to be a huge uh, powerhouse in Asian football for a long, long time to come down and, uh, and just uh, watch the number 19, uh, Nguyen Quang Hai, who's a, uh, who's a very special player. In my opinion, one of the top uh, two, three uh, uh, Asian footballers anywhere in the world, and I include uh, players in Europe in that list. He's a, he's a generational uh, talent. But yeah, for the for the Azcals, uh, the Philippines, it's probably a tournament uh, too soon. And I think the aim really for them has to has to be to to come and be competitive they'll be targeting uh, no doubt uh, the matches with china and and kyrgyzstan as a chance to get something perhaps a point uh, perhaps even three in in one of those uh, matches uh, you know perhaps not against korea where you know they'll uh, they'll look to be uh, defensively sound it's a shame that uh, yeah, as you said uh, neil lethridge uh, won't be here you know i mean 
you understand the pressure that the the player is placed in in that situation playing club in Europe where you could potentially lose your spot and also he's been in amazing form I mean even um, last night in the, in the Premier League he saved the penalty for them right so um, it shows how important uh, he is and you know I think there was no way really that the Philippines could have called him the the benefit is they've got a, um, a, a guy Michael Falskard who plays in Thailand who I believe is a, of Danish uh, one of his parents is from Denmark and the other is from the Philippines. He's also a very good uh, young goalkeeper. He's in his early 20s and he's done well in Thailand and, and did well at the Suzuki Cup as a number one also. So it's not like, you know, the the, the gap between Etheridge, as good as he is, um, you know, to the next guy is, uh, is uh, as extreme as it could have been. So, you know, they'll be defensively uh, fairly sound. They've got a guy with a Spanish background in Anton, uh, uh, sorry, Alvaro Silva. Who's a very uh, a tall and kind of powerful a central defender, Phil, a young husband. You touched on the the captain, all-time leading, a goal scorer, all-time leading caps holder for the nation. A lovely guy as well. He came through the youth ranks at Chelsea, so you know he's got um, a good pedigree and has had a fantastic international career. And then uh, Javier Patino, another guy with the. A European um, background as well, who's also done well in his time in China and is now in Thailand as well. So they've got some, you know, talent still uh, in the squad. Savan Schrock as well, who's played in the Bundesliga in Germany. So, uh, you know, they, they definitely have um, talent. You know, they're not going to, I think, uh, you know, suffer any kind of a humiliating or, or embarrassing defeats. But also, I, I think it's probably a, a stretch to say that they'll get out of the group. Well, guys, uh, we are almost done with this group, but one more team to go, Scott, Kyrgyzstan. We remember you talking on the Asian Game podcast that you ended up meeting the Kyrgyz FA president a few months ago. Yeah, fascinating guy, uh, Semente uh, Sultanov, uh, one of the younger um, FA presidents uh, in Asia. Uh, I was in Bishkek a, a couple of years ago, and I had the yeah the great pleasure to meet him there. I've met him um, you know a couple of times uh, subsequent to, to that, and hopefully we'll catch up with him again in the UAE. Uh, he's a guy that's you know really uh, committed to driving uh, the game forward in in Kyrgyzstan and. Uh, this is a nation, really, that can't be, uh, you know, I think, uh, written off uh, here so easy. Technically, uh, they have some excellent um, uh, players. The, the core uh, of the group is built around uh, a, a club side, uh, Dordoy, the, who, the, the manager of uh, the club, is also the manager of the national team. So, uh, you know, in, in effect, same case in Turkmenistan, well, what is happening? You've been affected by a club team playing as the national team, you know, with a few uh, extra kind of players uh, sprinkled in. And that um, that has a real advantage. I mean, the synchronicity is there. The, the coaches, I mean, everyone knows everything. So I think uh, I honestly can see Kyrgyzstan beating China. So uh, I think they'll beat the Philippines. And, and I think, uh, I'm not saying they will, but I, th- I think they can beat China. So uh, technically very gifted players. Uh, I've, I've never seen so many left-footed players in my life. <laughs> In the nation, I don't know what's going on with the with the youth development uh, there, but yeah, Semente, uh, the the president is a lovely guy. You know, really committed to to growing the game, and that's not always the case in in Asian football. So you know, I applaud him and uh, the work that uh, you know the the Kyrgyzstan are doing as well. And I think uh, not a dark horse to win the tournament, but there's certainly a dark horse. I think for most people, perhaps to get out of the group, and you know, I think they could cause a few surprises. You surprises, and if they end up beating Kyrgyzstan, this is the place you heard it first, and you can always thank Scott. And if not, uh, you can just say uh, anyway that we're underdogs and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, you're always saved, isn't it? <laughs> All right, but uh, before wrapping up, Sandeep, coming to you, the same question, Kyrgyzstan. We saw them play against India in that Asian Cup qualifiers last year. What did you make of the team? It was a really difficult game for India, which they eventually ended up winning by that one free goal by Sunil Chetri. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, India really shouldn't have won that game, if you look at it. I think that was just an... One of those magical moments that uh, Chetri just managed to conjure out of nowhere. But uh, by and large, I thought uh, they 
quite i am not going to say better india but they controlled the game they maybe didn't create as many good chances as they wanted their best striker obviously was uh, injured with a clash with a goalkeeper gurpreet and had to be taken off the game very very early so obviously that uh, kind of dented their uh, performance i think they were also missing a couple that, of players due to injury as well at that time one or two but yeah, despite but that they played very well and they yeah. hit, they came close to hitting the post once and twice also yeah absolutely i mean when you you when you're playing against a team like india we are all india is always going to give you chances because they're not at the level that uh, you expect not expect at the level that uh, of the asian games i'm uh, oh, sorry of the asian cup which uh, brings to another point like uh, maybe perhaps uh, qualification to asian cup should not mean uh, uh, the thing is a lot of pe- lot of people expect be india to be a good team now that they qualified for the asian cup which is not really the case it's obviously uh, the tweaking in the rules that has helped india maybe even uh, kyrgyzstan for that matter a little bit but uh, yeah i think they're going to be a good side they were very physical and they were very strong quite uh, tall players as well so i think they well, they really is going to take uh, some beating to beat them yeah well we'll have to wait and watch how kyrgyzstan fares at the asian cup well guys that's all we have on this episode of our asian cup special at injury time remember like we told you three part episodes on the preview but going down we'll be live from uae where we'll be bring you everything latest from the world of the asian cup guys thanks a lot for joining us thank you scott for being on the show today no troubles guys look forward to catching up uh yeah in uh, hopefully in the uae and uh, it'll it'll be good great uh, great tournament and you're really looking forward to it absolutely looking forward to that and sandeep thanks a lot for being on the show and hoping that you would be continuing going forward as well absolutely Well, and listener, thank you for being on the show for all this while. Like I told you earlier, stay tuned because we'll be bringing you all the latest from the world of Asian football in the coming month. Until then, have a great week and enjoy the game. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.